Amen. Thank you guys. That was awesome. We got an amazing group of uh, worship leaders and musicians. Um, very talented, but incredible people who love Jesus and have incredible hearts. And, and I'm very, very thankful for them. Um, I'm excited. I'm not one of these guys that comes out every week and is like, woohoo, let's go, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, when the lights come on, kind of when I'm standing here is the most awkward time of the whole service. But I am really excited. Um, usually the Sunday after Easter in church world is known as Letdown Sunday. Um, but I just think that's kind of a bunch of junk, right? Um, I think this is as, as great a day as any day. And, and I'm excited for what God uh, has put in my heart to share with you. And uh, the songs this morning lined up so well with this, uh, what I want you to hear today. And we're going to talk about a concept that we hear a lot in Christianity, but I don't know if we fully grasp it. And this concept, this, this uh, term, this uh, theological concept is called redemption. And we're going to do this through uh, looking at Paul's life and a lot of other scriptures this morning. Um, and this is really important for us. Um, and I want you to hear one particular point this morning. And that is this, that your past experiences and your current inter influence intersect to give you opportunities that are unique to you. Your past experiences and your current influence intersect to give you opportunities that are unique to you. Now for this to happen, there, there, there's something we have to understand, it's called redemption. And there's two parts to this. There is your redemption and salvation, and there is redemption of the areas of your life. And so we're gonna look at that today, and I want you to be able to see this because it is so powerful it is so important when we begin to truly understand that Jesus has redeemed us and we understand what that really means. So we're going to do this through Acts 21, beginning in verse 37. So if you can go ahead and turn there, Acts 21, verse 37, and we're going to read through into um, Acts 22. And we're in this series called On the Move. We're watching Paul as he goes from town to town. Um, he's in Jerusalem at this point. Uh, he's about to go through a lot of trouble, um, a lot of heartache. He's already been through a lot of that, but he's about to go through um, being arrested in several trials. Um, and in this, we're looking at, as Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, a lot about his life and it's amazing to see what he tells us here and some of Paul's experiences. And so in Acts 21 verse 37, it says, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, so there's this almost like a riot that takes place and this arrest of Paul and it's so bad that the, 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 the Romans think the Jews are gonna tear him apart. And so they're carrying him into these barracks for protection. So as they're doing this, he, Paul, asks the commander, may I say something to you? The commander looks at him, he says, do you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, 
Paul on the steps, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, he's speaking different languages, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I stuttered, I stuttered, I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are. I persecuted the followers of, of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can testify. Drop down to verse 15 now. It says in verse 15, you will be his witness. This is Jesus speaking to Paul when he was converted, when he came to faith in Christ. God told him in Anna, through a man by the name of Ananias, you will be his witness, meaning of Jesus and his work, to all people of what you have seen and heard. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the example of those who faithfully went before us, people like Paul, God, the other disciples, even those of the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, David, Daniel, so many, God, who've gone before. Thank you for their faithful witness to the power that you have today, Lord, especially the power of redemption. God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray today that your word would speak deeply into our hearts. God, I pray today that we would leave here with greater love for you than we walked in with, a great stirring of our affections for you, Lord, that changes us once again forever. Lord, we love you. Would you have your way in our hearts now as we open them to you? Lord, we love you, God. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So don't raise your hand on this question unless you just really want to, but don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever been bailed out of jail? I know some of you and I know some of you have, right? And so here's the truth of the matter, right? Some of you have been bailed out. Some of you have bailed people out. Some of you done both. And everybody else, right? You probably should have been bailed out at some time. True? You just didn't get caught, right? True for me. And so here's the thing I want you to do. I'm not saying that to, you know, shame us or anything like that. I'm saying this to help you understand a concept that we're looking at today. That concept is redemption. I wanna give you a real short, quick definition of redemption as we begin this. Redemption is simply this, freedom obtained by the payment of a ransom. So if you think about being bailed out, right? You have broken law, you become a lawbreaker, you go to jail. You come, you pay the bail, and they let you out. In a real simple, basic way, that is somewhat the concept of redemption. When the Bible talks about redemption, it speaks a lot of it from a mindset of slavery. People would go and they would buy other people out of slavery, redeeming them so they could be set free. 
And the first way I want us to see redemption this morning is through the lens of salvation. The lens of salvation. What is redemption? Specifically, what does it mean that we have been redeemed in Christ? It's a freedom obtained by the payment of a ransom. But listen to me. Freedom, the word freedom, is the difference in being bailed out of jail and the redemption that Jesus offers, okay? So someone is bailed out of jail temporarily, but what do they still have to do? They still go stand before the judge, right? But here's the cool thing. Jesus's redemption is eternal. So we are free forever from the judgment of God even though you and I are still lawbreakers. You see the difference in that? To be bailed out of jail is temporary. You still stand before the judge. But this redemption that Jesus offers us, this freedom from sin and all that came with it, from death, from hell, from the grave, all of those things, Jesus frees us from those things forever. A good example of this, and this is really powerful to me, if you go look at Matthew 27, 11 through 26, I'm not gonna read it just for sake of time. Jesus has been arrested. He's standing before Pilate. And there was this sort of custom that Pilate had with the Jewish people where once a year at Passover, he would release to them a prisoner. And so this was Passover, so he's gonna release a prisoner. And he's got Jesus. And he's like, look, I release to you, you know, a prisoner every year. Would you like for me to release Jesus, the King of the Jews? And the people are like, no, crucify him. Release to us Barabbas. And Barabbas was a known, uh, basically like a zealot, a, a rioter, a rebel. He deserved to be in prison. He had rebelled against the Romans. He was not a good person. So you've got Jesus who's committed no crime and you've got Barabbas who should be in prison. Justice would be served for him to be in prison. Justice would be served under Roman law for him to be crucified. And yet the people are yelling for Jesus to be crucified. And he says, so do you want me to release Jesus to you? They said, no, release to us Barabbas. And so what ends up happening is they release Barabbas and they crucify Jesus. And it, that, people, is a picture of what Jesus did for us. That is a picture of redemption, that the innocent was crucified while the guilty went free. I wrote out in my Bible by that passage, I am Barabbas. I am Barabbas. I'm the one who should have been on the cross. I'm the one who should have been judged. I'm the one who should have been put to death. And yet Jesus took my place. Jesus was bound so I could be freed. Jesus became guilty so I could be declared innocent. And there's this amazing exchange that took place in this moment. 
but why do we need to be redeemed, right? I mean, that's awesome, but why do I need to be redeemed? We need to be redeemed because every single person sitting in here today, none of us have lived out God's design for us. In other words, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's intentions, his purpose for us. And in that, we all became lawbreakers. So we forfeited our righteousness or our life as it ought to be. We forfeited our relationship with God. We forfeited our ability to fulfill God's purposes on earth that he has for us. And so because of that, we can look at God's judgment on sin as justice for the law breaking. Now think about this. We've never, I've never lived in a time where the cry for justice and rightfully so has been louder. There's this loud cry for justice. But do we equate that with God's justice? Do we see that? Justice is good, it's right, yes. But when it comes to us and God, do we really see that as good and right? We typically look at it and we say things like, how could a good God send people to hell? Well, first of all, God's never sent people to hell. They chose to go there. But we look at it differently. We can look at a rapist and say, yes, justice should be served and rightfully so. But when we look at God and we look at our own imperfections, it's really easy for us to not see it the same way. So we have to come to this place where we understand this. I want us to look at a scripture in John 3, 36. It says this, John 3, 36. It says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. When you look at this, I want you to, Understand that God's wrath is not some uncontrolled anger. It's not anger like we often experience. That's just uncontrolled and throwing stuff and you know, pitching this temper tantrum kind of thing. It is the execution of justice upon what should be justified. It is a justified wrath. It is something that rightly should take place. Oftentimes we think about God's wrath as just cruelty. No, no, no. It is God's judgment on what is wrong. And so we see where this tells us that those who believe in Jesus, that, 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 that they have eternal life, but those who don't, the wrath of God still remains on them. And we hear that and we, gosh, man, our filter is so broken. We hear that as this thing like this God who's just wanting to just, rah, right? And our filter's so broken that we hear it like that. But this is such good news. It makes the gospel so clear. It makes what Jesus did so clear that my sin is upon me. And yet because of God's great love for us, he placed that sin upon Jesus. He took the wrath for that sin so that I could be set free from it. That's the good news. So we don't like the uncomfortableness of talking about sin. 
but we want the convenience of salvation. But you can't see the light and the glory of the gospel if you haven't first wrestled with the depth of your sin. See, Jesus, it says, it says, if you don't believe in Christ, if you haven't accepted, in other words, what Jesus has done for you, you haven't become a follower of Christ, it says God's wrath remains on us. But here's the crazy thing is that Jesus went under God's wrath where we belong so we could rise above it. Jesus passed through it so we wouldn't have to. Does that not make you wanna worship God? That God, I am a lawbreaker. I deserve your justice. I deserve your judgment. But my goodness, you love me so much that I don't have to go through that. In other words, God punished himself so that I wouldn't have to be punished. God took what I deserved so I don't have to receive it. It's incredible. I don't have to work for this. You just give it. This is not a one-time concept in scripture. This is not something we just see with Jesus. It goes all the way back to the very beginnings of scripture and no place we see this more clearly than in Exodus. Right here at the beginning of the Bible, we see this in Exodus chapter six. Now the context of this is that the Israelites are in slavery. I told you redemption in the Bible often refers to redeeming slaves, to purchase them out of slavery, to set them free. Now, Egypt um, has literally enslaved the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's people who will bring forth Jesus, the Messiah into the world. And so there is this slavery um, taking place uh, that is oppressing Israel. But in Exodus 6, 6, God promises that he will be their redeemer. He will redeem them from the Egyptian slavery. We see this happen, y'all. Don't, y'all don't go to sleep right here. This is too, too, too powerful when we see this in scripture. When we go to Exodus chapter 12, we begin to see how this redemption takes place. God has brought these plagues upon Egypt. And every time Pharaoh hardens his heart or God hardens his heart, it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go. And so God brings this one last judgment upon Egypt. And in that judgment, he tells the Israelites, he says, listen, this is what you are to do. Take a lamb, a perfect lamb and sacrifice him. And you put his blood over the doorpost. You put it on the side of the door. And when I, not listen, when God, it says when the Lord passes over, God is, he is bringing the judgment on Egypt because of his people. And so when he passes over, he says, I will see the blood and the destroyer will spare you. I shouldn't even have to preach that, right? I don't even need to tell you what that alludes to. But you see this blood put over the doors. You see this and the destroyer has to pass over. Death doesn't come to their door. 
And when we look at this, what does that translate to? It translates to hundreds of years later, the Lamb of God would walk the earth perfect and spotless and he would become the redeemer of all people. He would be the one who takes us in this exodus out of sin into a greater promised land than God had for the Israelites. The Lamb of God who was slain for the world. This redemption is not a concept that only exists in Jesus. It's a concept that began from the moment that sin entered the world, from the moment that humanity became lawbreakers. God's plan of redemption began. But here's the challenge in this. Here's the challenge. It's easy for us to not recognize this, the full gravity of this. How many of you have known people who, like they went through their whole life or for a period of their life, not their whole life, but for a good period of their life, not realizing they needed glasses. But then one day they got glasses and they're like, oh, NG, right? I didn't realize there were colors in the world. I didn't realize there were leaves on the trees. Literally, I know people who have been like this. Like, I did not realize how many leaves are on trees. You've been driving? Like, what? You know? Things like that. It's like, like, they don't realize what they've been missing. They don't, they can't see clearly. And yet, there's something that happens when we really begin to understand the gospel and the power of God's redemption. The challenge for us is this, that we can exist in this bondage to sin and not really understanding the power of redemption so long that we don't even know we're in bondage. It's kind of like you know being half blind all of your life and then getting glasses and realizing what you're missing. So many of us have been in this bondage or, or we can come to believe that we'll never escape the bondage, that it can never be broken, and it just becomes our normal. In John 8, 31 through 33, it's where Jesus tells us that if we hold to his teachings, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. But what's funny is the Jews in that moment tell him, look, we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Now there's a lot of denial in that because we just read where Abraham's children were, in, were in, in slavery, right? And at this point, when they make this comment that we've never been slaves to anyone, the thing that we see is they are currently oppressed by the Romans. How blind could they be? Yet Jesus isn't even talking about this physical slavery, this physical oppression. He's trying to get them to see something bigger. And he tells them, anyone who has sinned is a slave to sin. And he's coming to deliver us from this bondage. And I want you to understand this. You know, people will say, well, sin isn't fun. Then, then you're not doing it right. And so, because sin can be fun. But what we don't understand is that sin eventually becomes this yoke, this, this master that is just as abusive as it's slavery. Comes to kill and steal and destroy. And we don't see that part. And Jesus is trying to get them to see this. We'll 
can become blind and numb. It just becomes our normal. And I want you to understand something this morning that the error of not seeing clearly the power of redemption, I believe it happens because of two errors centered around a truth. Errors around a truth. And the error around the truth, the truth is this, that a sin is a sin. Scripturally, we see that. Gossip can separate us from God just as easy as murder. Right? And we see this. We see that this is true. Now, they have different consequences, oftentimes. But what happens many times is one of two things. We either take sin from greater to lesser. For example, we tell people things, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, and then 27 and 28. We will tell people in hopes of them seeing that God has not given up on them. We will say, listen, it's like Jesus said, murder is the same as hate, right? And so we look at that and when we do that, I understand the intention of that, right? Is the intention is to say, God still loves you. God can save you. Sin is a sin. But for most of us, we don't like it flipped the other way. Where we look at it and we go from lesser to greater. Where hate, anger becomes murder. Where lust becomes adultery. See, when we go from greater to lesser, we like it because it eases our conscience. When we go from lesser to greater, we don't like it because it convicts our conscience. And both of them, if they're not held in balance, can lead to an unhealthy place. See, if we go from greater to lesser all the time, listen, we go, well, you know, I know, you know, you've done these things, but understand a sin is a sin. Then here's the good side of that, that it magnifies God's love and grace. The bad side of that is we can very quickly become flippant towards God with no gratitude for grace because I'm not amazed by it when I barely need it, right? But on the flip side, if I'm always going from least to great, that this, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That magnifies God's holiness and justice which is a good thing. The problem with it though becomes it can lead us to a cold, lifeless, performance-based religion because I am constantly trying to make God not be mad at me. And I have completely forgotten God's love and grace. And so there is this balance that we need to live in when we look at this. 
But when we keep it in balance, we see God is holy and perfect unlike me and his grace is amazing because I am undone without it. Jesus in those Matthew 5 passages, if you go read the Sermon on the Mount, look at it and read it this way. You have believed this. I'm telling you this is true. You'll see it in a completely different light. Jesus is causing a collision of worldviews. He's trying to get us to think differently. But in those passages that I mentioned, I want you to see this. This is so awesome. Jesus is basically saying, don't think you aren't in need of redemption just because you have have not committed a big one, right? But he's also saying, and don't think you aren't able to be redeemed if you have. Isn't that awesome? Don't think you're not in need of redemption because you haven't committed what the world sees as the big sin. But also don't think if you have committed the big one that you can't be redeemed also. And when we see this, that God is here and I am here and we recognize this, then the most incredible thing, God is holy and perfect. I'm not holy and perfect, but my God, your grace is amazing. And it leads us to worship. When you go through scripture, you find out that through redemption, we have forgiveness. Through redemption, we have peace with God. Through redemption, we can have peace with each other as God's working in our lives. Through redemption, I'm made righteous or as I ought to be. Through redemption, I am blessed with God's presence as I've received the spirit. Through redemption, I now have life. Through redemption, I've been adopted. I'm no longer an orphan separated from my heavenly father. Through redemption, I have the ability to live a new life. And when I can see this exchange clearly, it changes everything. Just like putting on a pair of glasses that opens up a new world to me, so does the power of redemption and this reconciliation with God. This exchange that I got forgiveness and he got condemnation, that I got peace with the Father, he got my hostility towards with the Father. I got his righteousness, he got my brokenness. I became blessed, he became cursed. And, and, and that curse led to death and yet he broke the curse that I became indwelled with God's presence while he was abandoned on the cross that I came I became alive while he died I have the ability to live a new life because he was willing to give his life I was adopted he was rejected this exchange is unbelievable and the power of it has set me free from what has bound me. The point of understanding this redemption for us in salvation is that if I don't understand the magnitude of redemption, submitting all of my life will not make sense. And when I don't understand the power of redemption, what it leads to is nominalization of the Christian faith. It leads to an apathetic Christianity. But if I do, and listen, I want you to see this. We're going to go quickly. I'm not going to spend as much time on this, so don't worry. If we do understand the power of redemption, our personal redemption, our salvation, our redemption in Jesus brings with it the potential and power for the redemption of every area of our life. 
that every area of our life is redeemed by God to be useful to him. Now listen, when I'm about to go into, I'm not talking about salvation, okay? I'm talking about taking what the enemy meant for harm and using it for good, okay? It's like Joseph, um, Joseph, coat of many colors. You know the Joseph I'm talking about, right? He ended up in slavery, he was sold into slavery. God redeemed him, he brought him out. And at the end of his life, Joseph said this, this is kind of a paraphrase, but Joseph said, look, his brothers were afraid because Joseph's in power. They thought he was gonna kill them or do something to him. And he said, look, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He said, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. He meant it for the saving of many lives. What you and I have to see is what the enemy brought into our life and even the decisions we made on our own and for ourselves that, that brought harm. The, the enemy may have wanted to use those things for harm, but God can redeem those things and use them for good. And those experiences have given us even current influence that gives us unique opportunities. When those areas of our lives are, are, are redeemed, when we submit those to God, those things become unique opportunities because they give us influence with people we would have never had influence with. For some of you, listen to me, you, you, y'all need to perk up, perk up. For some of you, your greatest mistakes will become your greatest opportunity. But listen to the other side of this. For others of you, and this is all true for me too, for others, your greatest successes will become your greatest downfall. And what it depends upon y'all, what it depends upon is are those things submitted to God? When we look at Paul's life, back to Acts, I hadn't forgot about Acts. They're like, well, he just read Acts because we're going through the book. I, no, I didn't, we didn't just read Acts. When we look at Paul's life, I want y'all to pick up on the things that, of his experiences that happened pre-Christ that God then turned around and is using for Christ and Jesus's purposes. So you start out and you go through and he speaks two languages right off the bat, Greek and Aramaic. So he's got... He's, he spoke multiple languages. He had been educated in that way. He'd also been educated and trained under Gamaliel. He'd been influenced by Gamaliel. He was a highly respected rabbi. He was a big deal to the Jewish people. He was zealous. He had great passion that had developed for God through his experiences. The characteristics developed through his experiences were important. He was gritty. There was grit to Paul. He didn't back away from challenges. He kept pushing and, and going. Even the mistakes he made, like persecuting the church and Stephen's murder and all of those things, even those things were being used by God. When we look at that, Paul's persecution of the church was bad, but it later became a powerful part of his testimony, a reason for worship and a source of humility. Even his mistakes. And, and it kind of sums up in verse 15 when it says that he'll be a witness for God to all people of what he has seen and heard. 
He's saying, look, God is going to redeem you so, Paul. He's going to redeem you so that even your mistakes, even those good things that you were using against God's people, he's fixing to redeem all of this stuff, Paul. And he's going to use every single bit of this in your life for the advancement of the gospel. He's going to use you to become the greatest missionary the world has ever known, the world has ever seen. And, and, and he's going to use you, Paul, to begin this process of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he's going to use you to begin to fulfill his purpose that all the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And I want you to see this today. You be encouraged in this and you be challenged that all things can be redeemed and used for God's purposes. It can be used for his glory. Your past experiences and your current influence intersect to give you unique opportunities. That means your mistakes. Listen, you can get saved today. Your sin is still going to have consequences. But even in those consequences, God can take what you've learned. God can take where you've been. God can take what you've experienced and he can use it to give you influence and unique opportunity. He takes our gifts and talents. Many of us have used our gifts and talents for things that were not glorifying to God. And God says, look, if you'll bring those to me, I can take those things and I can use them for my glory. We take our relationships. Many of us have been through relational hurts, you know, but God can take relationships, even the bad ones, and they can be redeemed and used by God. It doesn't mean that relationship is going to be restored, but it means God can use what he taught you through that experience for good, for his purposes, to give you unique opportunities to minister to people who others could never minister to. If these things are gonna be redeemed, and this is where the rubber meets the road, guys. If they're gonna be redeemed, all of our experiences have to be submitted to God. The good and the bad. Paul's study wasn't bad, but pre-Christ it was used to accomplish some bad things. Paul's persecution of the church was, was bad. But again, it became a powerful part of his testimony. It became something that caused him to worship when he saw the grace of God that redeemed him. It became a huge part of what kept him humble. And when we submit, this is, this is important, y'all. When we submit our experiences to God, that includes this. One, it includes viewing them correctly through God's word. When we submit it to God, we submit everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, to God in view of his word. And this is what we find out, and you've heard this a million times, I'm gonna tell you again, that God is good, right? That God is perfect, that I'm not, but I don't stop there. I look at what Jesus has done, and I realize who I've become. And I have to view every experience past, present, and future through the lens of scripture. If I have sinned, I turn from the sin and I come to God, but I realize and I never forget that I'm a sinner, but Jesus died, Jesus redeemed, and now 
I have become a saint from sinner to saint. Am I a lawbreaker? Still break the law at times. But you know what? In Christ, I am a saint. I have to view all of my experiences through Christ. That's not just to understand who God is and who I am, but I have to view it through Christ to understand God's redemptive purpose in those experiences. God has a redemptive purpose for the things that you have been through, for the things that you are going through and the things that you will go through that submitted to God, he can use those things for his glory and for his purpose. And so we have to view them correctly through God's word. We have to be willing then, the second part is to use them correctly for God's purpose. God, this is really painful, right? This is something I've gone through that's really painful. But God, I know it won't be wasted in your hands. God, show me. Show me how you desire to use this. Open my eyes to the influence that this has given me with people around me. What does it look like then for these to be redeemed? It could look like you starting a, a small group, a connect group that's geared towards people like that that you had this influence with, just starting a Bible study, sitting down and starting to read the Bible. Well, I don't, you might say, well, I don't know the Bible completely. Well, no, nor do I, right? Nobody has got uh, a lock on all of it. You can say, uh, you, could, you could start uh, some type of ministry towards that. And some of those things, they seem like they're way up here, right? How do we bring this down today? What's something you can do today? Listen, at the end of the day, and I've told you this before, the end of the day, your primary purpose on this earth is to make disciples or followers of Jesus. Yo, it's that simple. You look around at the people that God has given you influence and don't tell me you don't have influence with anybody. That's a lie. You have influence with somebody. And, and look, maybe it's not great influence, but through God working through you, you can cultivate that influence where it grows. You know how you do that? You love people. You care for them. You walk with them in their experiences. And they see it. And it, it, it gives you equity. It gives you the right, the ability to speak into their lives. But you look around and you say, who, who, Who's God given me a unique opportunity with? What's the influence I have? It could, I mean, look, it starts at home. Who are the other people in my life as well? He's given me unique influence with. And you know what you do? You begin to walk with them as you walk with God. And that's discipleship. I begin to walk with them as I'm walking with God and the word and prayer, just through my own struggles. I walk with them. Probably the best way I know how to show you this would be thinking back to when Jesus called the first disciples. And you remember when he called Peter. And what did Peter do? He went and found his brother, right? And he told him, come with me. You need to meet this man. And what's incredible about this is that started before they really even knew Jesus. 
And so for you, I would encourage you to look around you at the people around you and look and say this, say, who is around me that I can invite to meet Jesus with me? Who's around me that I can invite to follow Jesus with me? And at the end of it all, the most simplest way to boil it down is go make a disciple. Go let God use you to help others follow Jesus, to follow him. It's not something that needs to be programmed by the church, guys. It's led by the Holy Spirit. If we just started making disciples, if we really start following Jesus and inviting others to follow Jesus with us, you know what? We don't need programs in the church. In fact, what you'll find out is you don't need me nearly as much as all everybody showing up and listening. When we begin to take that seriously and you realize that your experiences, good and bad, have been redeemed in Christ, past, present, and future, and that you have current influence that God desires to use because it gives you unique opportunities to make disciples, listen to me, the church will explode because that is God's ministry plan. Programs don't make disciples, relationships do. Go build relationships and make disciples. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning for your redemption. God, when we look at our lives, so many things, Lord, that we've walked away from you. And yet, God, your patience, your kindness, your love wouldn't give up. God, I know that in my flesh, I am not like you, but I celebrate Jesus's redemption this morning and the fact, Lord, that in him, I'm as I ought to be. Thank you for the relationship we have through redemption, through Christ. We love you, Lord. We praise you this morning because you are worthy of praise. And this morning, God, grace is so amazing. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.